0: This is Curious City editor Alexandra Solomon. Since we've been under the stay-at-home order, we've gotten used to the constant tallies of new cases of COVID-19 and, of course, the number of deaths. In today's episode, we're going to take on a question from one listener who's been monitoring those numbers. And later, I'll talk with a researcher about something called caution fatigue. Essentially, the reason why some of us might not be following the safety guidelines like we were at the beginning of the pandemic. My colleague Monica Eng starts us
1: off. It's been almost two months since Illinois' stay-at-home order came down. It was meant to slow the spread of COVID-19 in the state. But this month, we hit new peaks in deaths and cases. Just this week, we had more than 4,000 new people test positive in a single day. So question asker Gary Lucido wrote in to say,
2: I would have expected with us being in isolation this long that we would have actually seen a significant decline. So I'm wondering, how are people still getting infected?
1: Yeah. I mean, think about it. If we're doing all this stuff to stop the virus from spreading, why are people still getting sick? To find out, I recently scoured the data and talked to local experts on infectious disease. What I found is that there are a bunch of reasons we're still seeing a lot of new cases in the state. And number one is testing. We're just doing a lot more of it. Here's Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker last week.
0: Illinois has made important and measurable progress in growing our daily test numbers Today, for the first time, exceeding 20,000
2: tests.
1: This week, those daily tests jumped even higher, like to four times what we were doing a month ago. And when you test more people, you're going to find more positive cases. But where are these positive cases coming from Well, we do know that nearly half of all Illinois COVID deaths and one in seven cases come from long-term care facilities like nursing homes. And that's because even though there are no visitors, staffers need to come and go and one worker can have contact with a lot of residents. That's been a huge ticking time bomb because... They haven't tested all the healthcare providers there. That's why you're seeing all that. That's Dr. Tina Tan at Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine. And that was true about not testing staffers until the state finally changed course last month. Still, most cases, they're coming from outside nursing homes. And how are those people getting sick? Well, then you have folks who can't stay home, like essential workers, and they can easily bring the virus back to the people they live with. But how about when no one goes out to work? Dr. Emily Landon, an infectious disease specialist at UC Medicine, says then it may be time to look at the children. Yeah,
0: unfortunately, children are the most likely of all of us to be asymptomatic and still be contagious. In fact, when I hear about people having no idea where they got their COVID, the first question I ask is, have your kids been playing with other kids?
1: Okay. Testing, nursing homes, essential workers, and possibly contagious kids. What about people who have none of these factors? How are they getting sick? Here's Dr. Landon again.
0: That's a great question. And there are a lot of people trying to better understand what's happening.
1: But so far, she says, the data shows it's asymptomatic, or folks who don't yet feel symptoms who are really out there driving the spread. But Tan at Northwestern suspects it's also folks who aren't being super honest about following the rules. People say they're observing social distancing. But, you know, you saw what happened where it was a nice day and someone had a party in their house. And we get it. People are getting lockdown fatigue. When I saw my mom last weekend for Mother's Day, I totally wanted to hug her. But I didn't. Because as Dr. Tan says, this is no time to be letting our guard down. I understand. It's hard for everybody. But you have to practice social distancing.
0: So like Monica said, we know. A lot of us have been stuck inside for two months, and it's getting harder for some of us to keep practicing social distancing and follow all the safety guidelines. If this sounds familiar, you may be experiencing something called caution fatigue. And you're not alone. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Thank you. This is Dr. Jacqueline Gollin from Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine, She's an expert on caution fatigue. Yeah. And she says it's not our imagination. A part of our brain is getting tired. Sure. We called her up to talk about how it works and what we can do about it.
2: Great. All right. I'm just going to push record.
0: We started with the basics. Just what is caution fatigue?
2: Caution fatigue occurs when we become desensitized to warnings or risk. When this happens, people show low motivation or energy to comply with safety guidelines. And so we become impatient with warnings. We don't believe the warnings to be real or relevant and essentially interpret the risk incorrectly. As it applies to COVID, I really thought it was something that was starting to occur. I was seeing people going out and about, engaging in behaviors that we knew were not encouraged. And so I felt like it was an applicable concept uh, to explain when people stop the safety behaviors like washing hands and social distancing and so forth. I mean, the dangers of caution fatigue are pretty real. And if we can reverse caution fatigue, we can reduce sickness and death for some people. Not all, but some. And that's, that's an important point. This is an
0: actual chemical reaction that's taking place in the brain. Is that right? Can you talk about what actually goes on in the brain when we're experiencing caution fatigue?
2: Sure. When we see an alarm go off in the environment, our amygdala, the emotion center of our brain, fires up. And to make sense of what that fear, stress, anxiety is about, we activate parts of our brain, including the prefrontal cortex, the inferior frontal gyrus. These are areas of the brain that are designed to help us understand what the alarm means. But over time, the front part of the brain tells the emotional sensors to just quiet down and ignore it because it wasn't relevant information from the get-go, and so why pay attention to it now? The signals are registered, but they're not considered as important as when they first started.
0: We did a call out. Um, and ask people about their behaviors right now. And we have a few examples, I think, of these various kinds of caution fatigue. So I wanted to run through a couple of these examples with you. So this is a message that was posted on Facebook by, by a parent defending their decision to let their kids play with other kids. Here's what this mom had to say. It's impossible to keep them away from each other forever. They'll eventually need to go back to the classroom and their soccer teams together and give each other the flu, strep infections, pink eye, COVID-19, and all manner of other forms of awful cooties. I can't police all of that. When they go back to the classroom next fall, they'll usher in the second wave of this pandemic. It will be the kids that do it they can 't stay away from each other forever i don 't know what the answer is, but this nightmare needs to end soon. Okay, so what do you hear in this? Help us understand this this person 's response
2: I kind of think about caution fatigue like a double a battery initially, she might have felt pretty energized and positively focused to follow on the pandemic, safety behavior for her children. And for herself, but as the virus has gone on and now with data to suggest that we may encounter this more in the fall, she sounds exhausted. She's starting to focus on the negative aspects of the situation and sounding a little bit helpless, hopeless.
1: Mm.
2: Now, often when people are feeling this way, they feel stress or anxiety, they show some errors of logic and start to feel stuck or fatalistic. It sounds like she is highlighting all of the risk factors that will impact her children's health children sneezing and touching each other and so forth. But I don't hear a lot of examples, and maybe she doesn't have access to the information yet from schools about all the safety precautions that are going to ensure that children are cared for. So if I were to talk with her, I'd have her try to wait until she has the data in front of her to make an educated guess about what the risks are, what the safety options are, so that she can cope a little bit better. Rather than predicting the future and catastrophizing it, just stay focused on the present and try to handle what's in front of her just now.
0: All right. So we have a, a member of the WBEZ team who wanted to remain anonymous because not everybody wants to let the world know about some of their behaviors right now. Um, this person says they went on a bike ride with a friend last weekend, maintained you know, social distance, shared a ride in the car. Both of them wore masks to minimize the risk of transmission. But, you know, after a hot, sweaty bike ride, feeling tired, uh, it was really tempting to take the mask off in that car ride. And they do admit that for a while they they drove in the car um, before begrudgingly, you know, putting the mask back on. What's going on with this person?
2: So this is very common We are trying to establish a new routine, keeping the mask on when you're around somebody else. But when we feel tired or our attention is shifted, we're going to fall back on habits. And our habit is not wear a mask. We are in battle with our habits. That's basically what we do most of the day. And with COVID, it's just a whole new set of habits and goals we need to acquire but we have to juxtapose that with what we have been typically doing pre-pandemic.
0: I'm curious a little bit about the other end of the scale. You know, I was walking by a group of guys playing basketball the other day. They were sweating all over one another, and I could just feel my anxiety, you know, rising. And uh, and so what what's going on with someone like myself where – as as I hear about more and more people experiencing caution fatigue, in me, um, it's sort of driving me in the other direction, making me not want to go outside, that sort of thing.
2: I think we have differences in our sensitivity to risk. So your point about being extremely cautious is probably driven by that sensitivity to the risk of getting COVID. You are fearful of getting ill or getting sick, and so your going to be using a lot of rules to try to comply, to get away from that outcome, trying to use a lot of shoulds. So these are unbreakable rules for yourself or for others. And anxiety is going to arise when those rules are broken.
0: That sounds about right. <laughs> how much do you think, you know, the, the example that I said earlier of the, the WBEZ team member, I happen to know that person lives alone. I live with a number of other people in my household. And I'm curious how much our concern for our own risk versus how much risk we pose to others plays into our propensity to experience or not experience this caution fatigue.
2: This is actually backed up in research where we are willing to take risks for ourselves, but we're less willing to take risks when it involves the health of another person. I think if you're attentive to your context, in this case, you have a lot of people you're living with, then chances are, if you care about them, you're going to try to engage in some health behaviors that protect them. So you have kind of a a we think orientation versus a me think orientation. And so maybe your values are to keep the the collective or the the house healthy.
0: Have you yourself had um had any of these moments of caution fatigue that yes. you noticed? Yes.
2: Just yesterday, I had an incident of caution fatigue. I went outside, was going to go for a brief walk with some music on. I hadn't been out all day. I really needed to get some exercise, and I forgot my mask. I went halfway down the block and decided I need to turn back. Go get that mask put that mask on, and take that walk.
0: For people who are experiencing caution fatigue, what kind of advice or tips might you have to help
2: us get through and get over that caution fatigue? First would be to set up a schedule of daily activities that build your physical and emotional strengths. Consider exercising more, eating well, setting reachable goals, particularly goals that give you a sense of enjoyment and mastery. I call them GEMS. So examples of that might be cooking a meal that you enjoy, uh, watching a TV show that makes you laugh or distracts you with its drama, talking, reaching out to people, getting out and doing some gardening, or even cleaning up a room or rearranging a closet or putting together something that you're competent at in your arts or in your life, then that's something to pursue as well. Um, The second thing I would think about is increase your sensitivity to the risk. Look for variety in the news around you. Change up where you get your news about COVID so that you start paying attention that's appropriate to what the risks are. Um, Step outside the mind traps. Test your errors of logic. Ask yourself, where is the data that confirms or disconfirms what I believe to be true or that I'm predicting is going to happen? Wait for the data until you have it so that you can make a reasonably educated decision about what's happening around you. And then focus on the risk to other. Have a we think, not a me think orientation if possible. Think about an elderly person you know, a favorite teacher from middle school and commit to keeping them safe. This is about you actualizing your value set so that as a community, we care for each other. Well, Dr. Gollin, thanks so much for
0: talking with us today and sharing those tips. I know I'll be wearing my mask for sure after this. You're welcome. Thank you very much. This episode of Curious City was reported by myself and Monica Ank. It was produced by Stephen Jackson. Support for Curious City comes from the Conant Family Foundation.